The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. As we look at Romans chapter 12, before we get started, let us pray. Father, I want to say thank you for this opportunity to exalt Christ and your plan of salvation for all of humanity, but specifically for the elect. We confess that it is above our pay grade to completely understand that you have shown mercy to all, but you have chosen to have compassion on whom you have compassion and to have mercy on whom you have mercy. You just call us to preach the gospel and not try to act like we completely understand the depth and the riches of your wisdom and knowledge. So I ask you, Father, to help your servant proclaim Christ, to exalt him for who he is and for what only he can do and what he deserves. Because we're going to talk about what he deserves. He deserves our worship, not just through sermon and song, but he deserves our lives to be a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bear with me one second. I think this is going to be the first time I set a timer, so. <laughs> Let's read the text. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. How we relate to one another in a family structure or with people in general is their love language, their love language. Most of the times we try to relate to people communicating our own love language to them and they don't always receive it. Uh, my primary love language is physical touch. My wife's primary love language is quality time and act of services that's like right there with it. So she's a dual combo. <laughs> I thank God we have been married 20 years. But in the midst of those 20 years, we were driving to Alabama. I think it was for my mom's funeral. And I had the gall to ask her, how am I doing as a husband? Exactly. And she said, do you really want to know? And I was stupid enough to say yes. I didn't get a good grade. I didn't get a good grade because I wasn't relating to my wife in her love language. 
One of my ch children, I have four and I'm grateful. I now have five grandkids, thanks to my second daughter, giving me a grandson yesterday. Yes, exactly, exactly. And all of them, their names begin with a J. John John or John, Joy, Jonathan Jr., Josiah, and now Jordan. So God has blessed me, I'm grateful. Um, but one of my children uh, had a bad day, and uh, she lost her phone. And when she called me distraught from the office, she was just torn up because she understand what we have told her. Don't use your phone. Don't put it in your back pocket when you're at school. Keep it in your backpack. Protect your phone. She lost her phone. She sat in the car, and I was wondering how I was going to handle this situation. I have an aggressive personality by nature. No nonsense, black and white, that's, that's me. Uh, as my daughter sat in the car, she is broken up, tears. God said, no, you're going to handle this my way. You're going to show her grace. You're going to get her a new phone. You're not going to reprimand her. You're not going to take her allowance. You're not going to make her pay for it. All this because God said you're going to show her grace. In the midst of us as a family going through this ordeal and buying a new phone and everything, at the end of the ordeal, we actually found the old phone. But do you know great God doesn't take grace back? So guess what? The new phone that she got to replace the old phone, she kept. Because God doesn't take grace back. God doesn't have buyer's remorse. See, whether you believe it or not, your deepest love language is for you to receive mercy and grace, you fight to be accepted. You fight to prove your worth to people. You, pray, you fight to prove how good you are. You even set standards that you break yourself. So deep down, you know you need mercy. And deep down, you know you need grace. That's why it's hard for some of us when we've had a bad week in regards to sin, it's hard for us to go back there to that communion table. Because at that moment, guilt overrides us instead of understanding the totality and the perfection of God's grace and God's gift of salvation to you. And even though you fail and even though you got off the altar, God has not taken back his grace. God has not changed your last name. He still call you his son. Why? Because of the perfect work of his only begotten son, who is the only begotten God, the work that he did in keeping the law as a man and dying on the cross as the Lamb of God. We need a better picture of what God has done for us. And that's actually Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 11. 
So I'm going to hit some scripture from Romans 1 and 11 because we want to hit what God's mercy is. And we want to understand how much God loves us. But in return, the title of my message is, now that I've given you a brief synopsis, just like a professor, before we get deep into the class, before we get deep into the sermon, I've given you a brief synopsis of the sermon. I want to ask you, how are you reciprocating God's love back to him? The title of the message isn't that. It is, how deep is your love? Yes, and for those who are my age and older, the song just popped in your head. Yes, it did. From the Bee Gees, how deep is your love? Yes, somebody is dancing. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. See, let's look at what Justin talked about last week, the doctrine. I'm not going to hit every chapter. I'm going to hit a couple of chapters. I'm really going to do like a, we're going to look at Romans Road. And for those who evangelize, you know the scriptures I'm going to bring up. But those who, that's not your primary gift, it's, it'll be good to just hit Romans Road. And then as the doctrine for the body, then we'll get into the duty or what I call the dedication of our lives to the one true deity. So let's look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. If you have an app or if you have a Bible, please turn with me. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to read these to you, but I would like to see you turn pages or click a button. I'll be taking notes. And I'll try to keep the tempo, but I want us to grasp this. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands nor seeks God. All turn aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, and I know someone saying who has shared the gospel. Didn't you skip 5, 8? No, I didn't. Just follow me. Romans 6, 32. Preachers, relax. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a if, then, no buts about it. That's God's promise to us. Number 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
Romans 11, 32, this is a bonus, 32 and 33. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Don't trip over that. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable in his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. God is not calling us to understand verse 32 and 33 of chapter 11. He's calling us to believe it. He's calling us to trust him. Because in other verses, and I'm going to go to John 3, 16, and we know that so well. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, that's everyone, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The whosoever, although it's for the world, the whosoever are those whom God has chosen, even though God has given mercy to all. God has given mercy to all when he lets it rain, especially in the agricultural world, and they need rain for the crops to grow. God has shown mercy. Paul preaches something very unique in Acts 17 when he's at the Areopagus. He talks about the unknown God. He said, God has not been far from us, but God has set up a time of judgment for all men by raising this man, Jesus, who will be the judge of the living and the dead. He preached the gospel, but he started from creation. That's another way God has shown mercy. God showed mercy to our first parents in telling them, I'm not going to kill you right now like you deserve. You are separated from me, but I'm going to give you a hope in the seed, not the seed of the man, which the world didn't understand biology at the time, but God was letting you know he knows about us before we knew about ourselves. I'm a seed of the woman for the other kids. Explain this to them later. Uh, he will bear a son, and he shall crush his head. He shall bruise his heel, which means the death that this man would die would not be fatal, would not take him out. But what he does to the animal will crush his authority, will incapacitate him from be, ever being effective again for those who believe. You see, that is the Christian doctrine. That's what we stand on. That's what we believe. The inerrancy of Scripture. But this text, Paul is making a shift from doctrine to your dedication. What he has said from chapter 1 to 11 is to get you to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for showing me mercy. Not just mercy in saving me, but Mercy when I was unsaved and living like an unsaved person, acting like an unsaved person. I'm not going to go through a litany of things of how we act like unsaved people, but you can, you can categorize, categorize them in three modes. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. I don't care what sin you have committed. It boils down to one of those three arenas. Or, or a multitude of the two, or a combination of the two. So that's doctrine, that the God that we serve is so holy that he cannot look upon sin, but yet he has shown mercy by being the bridge builder to reconcile us, to giving us opportunity 
to run back to him. See, I don't know who you are, but you can't run fast enough to jump to heaven. You're not strong enough. You're not wise enough. First of all, you don't know where it is. (laughs) And GPS can't get you there. The only one who can get you there is someone who has come from there. Jesus said, I have come from above. He came to do the Father's will. See, what happened in the garden destroyed us from being able to perfectly walk with God and have fellowship with God and appreciate who God is. Just like in a marriage or in a family, There are different personalities, different love languages, and for the house to be harmonious, you have to know how to speak to each one of them. You have to know when one needs a push, a kick, or a hug, depending on the person and the timing. I recommend you don't kick nor push your spouse. But our relationships were destroyed with God through Adam. So nothing we can do to bridge that relationship back or get that relationship back, we need a bridge builder. And that's who Christ is. But if we're honest with ourselves, even though we're saved, we don't walk with Christ like we should. We don't trust him like we should. We struggle in telling God, when we are afraid. We struggle in telling God when we have doubts. We struggle in telling God when we're dealing with a sin. We struggle in telling God as if he doesn't know. We struggle with being transparent. But if, but if you're going to learn to walk with God, you got to learn God already know who you are. And you got to be willing to remove the hypocrisy of your fig leaves that when somebody asks you, like when we come in today, how are you doing? I'm good and I'm highly favored. We take that same type of saying when we pray. We, we say that same thing to God. I, I got problems, God, but I'm good and I'm highly favored. You are good and highly favored, but right now you're broken inside. Right now you got doubts. Right now you don't know what you're going to do next week. Right now, you don't know if your marriage is going to land. Right now, you don't know how your kid is going to get through school. Right now, you don't know if you have enough money to get to the end of the month. And if you're honest with yourself, those things weigh on your heart more than being saved. More than seeing God is a shepherd. That brings to my heart. This psalm has been the anchor in our home. This psalm has helped me minister to Amanda Trinise Burnett when she was to the point of depression and wanting to kill herself. This psalm is Psalms 23. Because if you know the personality of a sheep, the sheep is stubborn and and there, another word, the sheep is stupid. That's, that, that, that's what a sheep boils down to. Cannot defend himself, doesn't know where food is. Did I say stupid? Yes. 
will walk into a thicket, will walk into a pasture where his enemies are, and won't know anything about it. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want my provider. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, my peace. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, my protection. Do you know God is your provider, your peace, your protection? In the last verse is my anchor for me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall, sound like a confident promise, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. God is your promise keeper, not based on how good of a sheep you are, but how great of a shepherd he is. So I got to ask you again, how deep is your love? How deep is your love? If you know that you got a shepherd this good, how deep is your love for that shepherd? Because Paul is saying, because of the mercies of God, you should be willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You have, we have, the body of Christ have been made alive by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to drag you to be on the altar. The Holy Spirit wants you to willingly follow Christ to the altar. Just like Jesus, being the Lamb of God in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, not my will, but thy will be done. And Hebrews points it out in Hebrews chapter 5, in these ways he learned obedience because he allowed himself to go through death. Death for us, death for the world, that we might be redeemed. God isn't asking you to be a sheep to redeem someone. God is asking you to be his sheep, to be a billboard of the resurrection of Christ. See, my living life should be a testimony that Jesus is alive. Many people are looking for proof that is the resurrection real? I could go to historical proof because the disciples went from being cowards to bold men. I can go for other historical proof. The first people who testified of Jesus being alive were women. And if you understand the culture and the time back then, women had no credibility. So why would the Gospels, if women had no credibility, say that women saw Jesus alive? It's because the women saw Jesus alive. When Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he, he talks about the men, and he purposefully leaves out the women knowing that there were women, but he's writing to the culture that would disregard if he started with the women. But the Gospels, from a historical point of view, start with the women. 
And then if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, his enemies, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Romans would have shown his body. Uh, they haven't come up with a body yet. And they will not. Because your shepherd is alive. And your shepherd is your advocate before the Father. So even when we have those bad days of getting off the altar, you know, when someone cuts us off on the 410, 1604, the 281s, or when we just get in the parking lot, some, another Christian cuts you off, you just go, I can't believe, yes. When you have that moment, when your pride rises up, or when you have that moment when your eyes go when they sh where they shouldn't, or when you have that moment when you think you don't have enough to make yourself happy, when you live for being happy more than living for being holy, when you have that moment, know that you can go to Jesus and say, I blew it. Know that you can go to Jesus and he won't say, Michael, get rid of him. Jesus knew what he did when he went to the cross. He knew who he was dying for when he went to the cross. And he died purposely. Let's make this personal. He died purposely for me. One time I was in a, in, in a Christian meeting for the youth, and someone kind of got a little perturbed. We were, we were friends, so I understood where she was coming from. We have the same personality. She got mad because I said God was my God. I said he is. <laughs> You've got to have that kind of personality. You've got to see God in that manner. You belong to him, and that means he belonged to you. You know, Anne love you guys. But Ann is not going to share me with you. <laughs> and I love you guys, but I'm not going to share Ann with you. That's the kind of relationship you have with Jesus. It's a bridegroom and a bride, and we are the bride of Christ. Christ is our bridegroom, and the bridegroom deeply loves us. The bridegroom has purchased us with his own blood. The bridegroom has cleaned us with his righteousness. The bridegroom greatly cares for you. Even when you refuse as a living sacrifice to get on the altar and show someone compassion who needs compassion or to give someone grace who needs grace or even when you refuse to share the gospel and the Holy Spirit saying, share the gospel. And you go, I don't know what to say. Share the gospel. Just open your mouth. Let him do the talking through you. It's not how well we articulate the gospel that makes that person saved. It is the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working on that person that saves the person. The gospel has power to save the sinner. And it is the only thing that God has given us to save the sinner, to the Jews they are seeking for a sign. To the Romans, it is utter foolishness. But to those who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. And God wants your complete life surrendered to him for the purpose of pleasing 
Christ. Yes, I'm looking for, I'm trying to figure out what time I have. So, Jesus continuously, when he walked the earth, let people know who he was and did only what God can do. Job talks about only God can steal the waters. Guess what Jesus did? Steal the waters in the book of Mark. Jeremiah, part of the new covenant, verses 31, chapter 31, 32 through 33, talks about only God can forgive sins. Guess what Jesus did with the paralytic man before he healed him? To show that he had authority to forgive sins, Jesus forgave sins. Then he raised the paralytic man up. Jesus said in a multitude of ways in different times, he said that I am of Exodus 3, 14. But I want you to get something. And if you don't hear this, if you don't know this, you need to get this. In John chapter 8, Jesus says something very unique. He says, unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. So it's very significant that you just don't know Jesus the man. You know Jesus who is God who became man. You need to know his full identity. Because the world will strip away some aspect of who Christ is. They will strip away his deity. They will strip away his virgin birth. They will strip away whether he died on the cross or not. They definitely will strip away that he was raised by the power of God on the third day. Our dedication to Christ comes by being willing to do what Christ did. Jesus says something very unique and is not a suggestion, it's a command. In Luke chapter 14, verses 21 through 27, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother or wife or children or brothers or sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Are you willing? And it should be a rhetorical question. Because, because of the mercies of God, you should already be willing. Because you know you were a sinner, but now you are a child of the living God, adopted into the kingdom of God, and you have been given eternal grace. You say, Herb, I know where you're going, and yes, I'm willing. I'm scared, but I'm willing. I don't know the consequences of it, but I'm willing. You need to be willing to prioritize Jesus at all costs. See, in the Middle East, and especially at this time, those who would follow Jesus and, and become his disciples meant that they, they were disowned by their families. In Muslim countries today, in Buddhist countries today, and probably even in America where there are atheists, if one member in the family accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their God and King, they're disowned. They're given a funeral, and they may even, especially if he's coming from a Muslim, 
background killed that very moment. The weight of identifying yourself with Christ is costly, but it's worth because he's worthy. It's worth it because he's worthy. You picking up your cross and following Christ is worth it because he's worthy. It's worth it because he's worthy. He is God Almighty. The cherubims praise him. And continuously they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, worthy to receive glory, honor, and praise. And Jesus is receiving that praise because he's worthy. He's worthy. So your spiritual service of worship doesn't consist of understanding that there are 66 books of the Bible, understanding that it's written in three languages by 40 authors. Your spiritual service of worship is your commitment to surrender. Your commitment to surrender to following him. Your commitment to him being your shepherd and you being the sheep. You're trusting that he is good and faithful. And see, what you must understand, God chose the animals that would be holy and that would, in the Old Testament, that would temporarily be a shadow of the sin bearer, who is the Christ. God chose whether it would be a bull a sheep or a goat. God chose what parts to put on the altar and what parts to be outside the altar and to be burned. Now, God chose you for certain circumstances to go through, just like God chose Job. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I know none of us wants to go through cancer. None of us want to be disowned from our family. None of us want to lose our job. But if you're walking with Christ and you're not ashamed of who Jesus is and you are a walking billboard of the gospel, God's going to choose you for something. Yes, he's going to choose you to love your wife and love your husband and love your kids. But God's going to choose you to love your enemies. He chooses us to bless those who curse us and do good to those who despitefully misuse us. God may choose you to be persecuted, to be beheaded. God may choose you to lose your family. Don't be ashamed to be chosen. To worship God in his manner. <laughs> because it's your spiritual service of worship. It's how he's called you. It's how he's chosen you. So I'm asking you, how deep is your dedication to be willing to be chose? To be chosen by God 
to accept his will. Not just to preach a sermon, not just to sing a song, but to be a billboard sign of righteousness to this dying world. And most of all, to crucify your flesh, to deny yourself. That is the biggest way we can be a billboard before God, is to deny ourselves to walk in our own nature, but to walk as a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God has blessed you with every spiritual gift that you need to be who he has called you to be when he chose you to be in Christ. Verse 2, Paul is calling us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world as it is under the world influence of the evil one and those that follow him, although the evil one cannot stop us from being saved, you need to get that. The evil one cannot stop you from being saved. He cannot take your ticket out of your hand for heaven. So the best thing he can do is to cause you to stumble and look like a bad Christian. But if we are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to encourage us in those moments when we are tempted, the Bible says, therefore, there is no temptation that is common to man that God will not provide for us a means to escape. No, we have not always escaped, but the opportunity and the ability is there. But God wants our free will to choose and agree with God, yes, I'm gonna escape this. I'm gonna escape this. I'm gonna allow your word to speak to my heart and give me that way of escape. See, the world says this, evolution is how we got here. God states this, we were created in the image of God out of the dust of the earth. The world states there are no genders. God states he created them male and female. The world states females can be with females and males with males. God states husbands shall leave their father and mother and cling to their wife. The world states all roads lead to heaven in regards to salvation. God states I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The world states babies isn't a per, are, not a, are not people in the mother's womb. God states, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart. The world states open marriage, multiple partners, and entanglements are acceptable. What are entanglements? God states, the adulterers and fornicators will not inherit eternal life. The world wants to change what you believe, and most of all, they want to change who you believe, and they want you to be silent about who you love. Are you going to let them keep you silent? And you know how to phrase that, keep you silent. Because there have been times when we've been in the office and we didn't say anything. There have been times when we've been in the grocery store and we didn't say anything. 
There have been times when we've been at school and we didn't say anything. Because we don't want to be counseled, this culture is ready to counsel us. We need to make up in our heart. Counsel me if you will, but I'm not going to be quiet about Christ. I'm not going to be a quiet about the gospel because in the midst of you counseling me, the gospel is going to ring forth and somebody else is going to see and know by my mannerisms, Jesus is Lord. Just like in Pilgrim's Progress, you know how in Pilgrim's Progress, yeah, Justin, I watched it yesterday. I, was, I, I love that movie now. Thank you for hooking me up. Every time I want to get a just colorful act of the doctrine, I, I watch Pilgrim's Progress now. But when they go to having good times at the merry-go-round, Pleasure City or something like that, they start, the two witnesses talking about, we're going to the celestial city where we are loved, where righteousness reigns, where we are treated fair, where the king loves us and shows us compassion. And they said, we've got to change that. We can't let that go on. They're going to call someone to believe. So let's see if this love is real. Let's persecute them. Let's backbite them. Let's just try to destroy them. And they said, the more we beat on them, the more they smile. I'm here to tell you that is not a fairy tale. That is truth. Because of who we are in Christ, when we're in that position where God is squeezing us, ah, <laughs> where God is, has called our name to get on the altar, he will empower us to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It wasn't just Jesus who said that in the Bible. If you know your Bible deeply, you know Stephen said the same thing. So it's just not Jesus who has the power to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We have the power to forgive people and say they know not what they do. They are delusional. They are caught under the spell of Beelzebub, the devil. They are Paulion. But he has been defeated. He has been defeated. I'm about to close because my, bo- my thing went off. Odds <laughs> are against us. And the more the world try to silence Christianity, the more the odds will be against us. And the more people will say Christianity can't be true because the majority says it's not true, and only the minority is saying it is true. The odds are against us. And just like in Vegas, they say, it's too many people saying there is no God. It's too many people saying Jesus isn't God. It's too many people saying he didn't rise from the dead. It's too many people. Salvation cannot be that easy by grace through faith. But just like in Super Bowl 42, The odds were against the New York Giants beating New England Patriots. If you know the story, the New England Patriots were undefeated that year. Brady was hot, hotter than hot. Chicken grease hot. (laughs) Yeah, 
But this time, he wasn't hot. Because the sixth string, the sixth string is the lowest string in the conference. That's the, that's the last seed. In the NFCE, the last seed. Archie Manning's son, Peyton Manning's baby brother, Eli Manning, the quiet one, the stoic one. First Super Bowl. How he's going to beat someone who has already gone through a Super Bowl? How he's going to beat someone who's undefeated? The score ended. Giants 17, Patriots 14. People would have said the same thing. How is Moses going to get the children of Israel out of Egypt? How is Nehemiah going to build that wall? How is Daniel going to escape that lion's den? How is Jesus going to get out the grave? They don't know my God. They did all those things by my God. And I got to ask you as I go to my seat, how deep is your love for your God? <laughs> 